0: Hello and welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder healthcare to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Benny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to episode 36 of Elder Health Connection. I am Dr. Caroline Morris, your host for this show. Today we are continuing our What is Aging series with part five, the digestive system, as well as bladder and bowel control. So all of the squirmy stuff we'll be talking about today, but very important for aging and taking care of those who are older as a reminder as we work through this whole series on aging that what i'm presenting is what is commonly seen in our population with age does not mean it will happen to everyone it does not mean it is optimal aging it is just an average of what is observed at this time and as always at the end i'll share some suggestions for how we can positively impact these processes as i mentioned last time if you happen to be a therapy provider listening to this episode and you'd like some continuing education credits for it i did a course on similar topics for therapy insights called modern aging physiological processes and societal responses with a colleague of mine. There'll be a link in the show notes for you to check that out. It's just a quick one hour course approved for continuing education credits for physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech language pathologists. So today we are getting into the digestive system and bladder and bowel function so for our digestive system similar to what we thought about with the pulmonary system there are kind of two categories of function to think about so in the pulmonary system we talked about the physical act of breathing of drawing air into the lung and forcing air out of the lung as one function and then gas exchange of does the oxygen leave the air get into the blood Does the carbon dioxide leave the blood and get into the air as the second main function? With the digestive system, it's similar, where we have two main functions we can think about. One is motility, so does the food actually move through the digestive tract? And the second being absorption, which is once it's in our digestive tract, do nutrients cross the intestinal wall to be absorbed into the body. A third category we can think about with the digestive system is immune function. So most of our immune system actually lives within our gut or our digestive system. All right, so back to motility. Motility or that ability for food to travel throughout the whole digestive system can decrease with age and this can happen really at every location in the tract so in our esophagus there can be decreased motility so the food doesn't pass as efficiently from the mouth to the stomach it can also happen within the stomach itself where the stomach needs to churn and massage our food to digest it, and then it needs to empty. And that process can be slowed down as well. And it can happen in our colon or our large intestine, where the food again gets slowed Um, And at this point, it's becoming stool to be passed, and that motility can lead to, or lack of motility can lead to some constipation. On the absorption side of digestion, again, similar to what we talked about with the lungs, is we need a lot of surface area within our intestines to efficiently and fully absorb the nutrients we're taking in. So just as we needed a lot of surface area in the lungs for the gas exchange to occur, we need a lot of surface area within the intestines for the nutrient exchange to occur, the nutrients to be absorbed, and in some cases for the waste to be put back into the digestive tract. That surface area in the intestines, particularly the small intestines, is called villi. They are little finger-like projections that dramatically increase the surface area in the small intestine for nutrient absorption. And they can degenerate with age. So we have less surface area to absorb the nutrients. We also have A very complex nervous system in our gut that regulates digestion and keeps us functioning without us having to think about it. And we can have a degeneration of that nervous system with fewer nerve cells in that network, which can also decrease absorption of food. The immune function of our digestive system can come from the mucosal layer which as it sounds is a layer of mucus inside our intestinal walls that protects them and that can degrade and we also have our microbiome which is the bacteria that live inside of us and help us digest our food among many other functions and when one or both of those are not functioning correctly, our immune system overall can malfunction as well, which can lead to more infections in general that we see in our older patients. It can also lead not only to more infections, but more severe infections in our older patients because the immune system isn't working as robustly as it may have when we were younger. So as you can imagine, some of the consequences or potential consequences of these age-related changes are one malnutrition so if we're not absorbing nutrients it doesn't matter what we eat to an extent we don't have if we don't have good absorption and that can lead to malnutrition now malnutrition can also come as a secondary feature of motility issues so If food isn't moving appropriately through our digestive tract and we might not want to eat because everything just feels stuck and uncomfortable, that could also lead to malnutrition by not taking in enough food. There's another condition called postprandial hypotension. So we'll break down that big medical term again. So post meaning after, grand deal a meal, hypotension, low blood pressure. So this is low blood pressure after eating. And this can occur when the blood in our body is shunted to the digestive system to help digest the food, leaving not enough blood in the rest of our body. So the blood pressure readings are lower and it's normal for our blood to shift around in our bodies we don't have enough blood for every organ system to be working at full capacity all the time so it is normal for blood to move around based on the demands in the body and this is where the old advice to not swim right after eating comes from where you don't want your blood supply tied up in the digestive system and not available to other systems. Now, with older adults, it can be more pronounced of a blood shift and there can be more symptoms around it. It's a good thing to keep in mind, particularly if you or someone is lightheaded after eating, that may be a a drop in your blood pressure may be good to avoid exercising for a while after eating. We can also have dysphagia, which is difficulty swallowing, as one of the problems that can occur with the digestive system. And if this is the case for you, I would encourage you to seek out a speech-language pathologist to evaluate your swallowing. To make sure everything is as it should be there and we also have constipation and if constipation goes unchecked it can actually lead to some incontinence of stool constipation is defined as a bowel movement less than three times per week and it can be caused by many things in our older adults, as well as the general population. So it can be metabolic, meaning a slowing of our metabolism or changes in our metabolism. It can be caused by the diet, particularly if there's not enough fiber being consumed or enough hydration coming in, many medications that older adults are on cause constipation. Pain medications are a common culprit and it can be from neurogenic causes as well, meaning the nervous system that controls the releasing of stool and the retaining of stool can change, leading to constipation. We can have what's called fecal incontinence in our older adults as well, which is the loss of the ability to voluntarily control when stool leaves the body this is more common in older adults who are institutionalized. So those who are living in nursing facilities experience this type of incontinence more often than those who are not in those types of facilities. And sometimes it is caused by severe constipation where um, if the stool has not left the body for an, extent, an extended period of time. It can become what's called impacted, and the newer stool behind it can leak out around it, causing some incontinence this is definitely something to get evaluated by a physician and not left on chat our bladder goes through changes as well with age the bladder is another muscular elastic structure and it needs to contract when it's full to tell us to that it's time to empty the bladder, and then we also have to be able to sense that fullness and contraction and need to empty the bladder in order to maintain continence of the urinary system. What can happen with age is that contractile activity can diminish as well as the sensation can diminish, and that can lead to some urinary incontinence. Now, there are four types of urinary incontinence. Stress incontinence is when a little bit of urine le- leaks out, when there is stress on the bladder and the muscles of the pelvic floor. So this commonly occurs with laughing, sneezing, lifting, jumping, exercising, anything that puts pressure on the bladder and those muscles can cause a little bit of urine to leak out it's generally not a full bladder's worth that's coming out and typically people know what their stressors are this is more common in women and often starts after childbearing Though so it is treatable urge incontinence is when The urge to urinate comes on so fast and so strong that people often don't make it to the bathroom in time and then it's a a whole bladder accident that typically occurs. Mixed incontinence is a combination of the two. So it's a combination of stress and urge incontinence. Functional incontinence is probably the least talked about of the different types of incontinence. But this is when there's really no issues with the bladder control itself, but it's when other issues prevent people from making it to the bathroom on time. So it could be someone who has broken a hip and needs help to get to the bathroom and the help doesn't doesn't arrive in time to get them to the bathroom, but there's nothing actually going awry with the bladder. This is something we see Not uncommonly in the hospital and nursing facility settings where our older adults are in bed or staying put wherever they've been left and then too much time elapses to allow them to get to the bathroom. Another thing with the bladder that we see is nocturia or the needing to go to the bathroom overnight. And while not necessarily incontinence, this need to get up and go to the bathroom isn't without its consequences either. It can interrupt sleep, um, leading to decreased stressfulness. It can potentially cause problems. If we're getting up in a dark environment, maybe we're a little disoriented from just being asleep. Maybe our blood pressure is a little lower and it can set up an increased risk for falling due to all of those factors. Some additional consequences of incontinence in general, both bladder and bowel, can be anxiety and depression so it can change a lot of our feelings about ourselves and our health if we can't control our bladder and bowels and which can lead to social isolation as well where people don't want to leave home they're embarrassed to be in public they're afraid Of what may happen if they have an accident and then the world starts getting smaller and smaller there is a financial burden as well in terms of purchasing incontinence products to self-manage as well as the cost to care for incontinence within the healthcare system so to summarize what we've talked about with our digestive system we have decreased motility which means the food and then The food that eventually becomes stool doesn't move as efficiently through the digestive tract. We have decreased absorption, so the nutrients we're taking in aren't necessarily crossing the intestinal barrier to be absorbed into the rest of our bodies. The immune function of the gut can be compromised, which can lead to more infections and more severe infections. The decreased motility along with other factors can lead to constipation and unchecked constipation can potentially lead to fecal incontinence. And then we can have urinary incontinence as well, all of which significantly impact quality of life. So what can we do about it? I know it sounds a little bleak, but there is actually a lot that can be done. So there is a branch of physical therapy focused specifically on pelvic health that addresses bladder and bowel incontinence, as well as pelvic pain and other conditions that may occur, and they are a phenomenal resource for addressing these issues. It's not an area of PT that I practice, but I work closely with many health therapists who do really life-altering work for their clients. There are dietary changes that can happen, and if you do work with one of those therapists, they will help guide you through that. It's also something we can discuss from a coaching perspective of improving diet. Digestive function, if it's a problem with the swallow, that is best served by a speech language pathologist, particularly if there's concern that the food or drink is not going into the esophagus, but is going into the lungs instead. Of course, any of these major concerns, please consult a physician first. And then again, more broadly with coaching, we can work on reducing inflammation in the body. We can work on Implementing habits you may need to keep your digestive function and your bowel and bladder function working as optimally as possible. I think that about sums up our discussion on the digestive system and bowel and bladder control. Thank you for joining me for this episode and for making it through. It can be an uncomfortable topic. I'll have plenty of resources for you in the show notes as always. And thank you for joining. I put out episodes every other Monday to help you be better informed on aging so that it's not so daunting and we can prepare for it and enjoy it and help those who are currently going through it. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, Please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.